Hi, this is Tundival Atkins, and this is episode 22 of our Treasure Island Pedagogies podcast series from the Center for Innovation in Education at the University of Liverpool, where we share our light bulb moments, teaching props and pedagogies as we cohabit our Treasure Island, the space for contact time with students. I have three lovely guests today, Siva Priya Kramakrishnan, Laura Mitchell and Lorna Mitchell. Um, so can I ask each of you to introduce yourself and your original discipline and your current role and how you arrived here? Hi, this is Siva Priya Ramakrishnan. I'm working as a lecturer in the Department of Physiotherapy in College of Health Sciences and University of Sharjah. I'm located in this beautiful deserted United Arab Emirates here. Nice to meet you all. Hi, I'm uh, Laura Mitchell. I'm based at the University in York and have a historic interest in lots of very diverse things um, from a study of organization studies, culture and human resource management with a specific focus on dignity and ethics. Um, I'm currently the program lead for our BA uh, program in business and management um, and I teach on our undergraduate core module for business ethics. Hi, my name's uh, Lorna Mitchell. I'm a law lecturer at uh, University of Liverpool. Um, I'm also the academic enhancement lead and um, deputy director for education of the department. Um, before my career in education, actually, I was a corporate solicitor, so my route was slightly different. Um, I love being a solicitor, but more and more I enjoyed working with trainees and training them, um, which kind of led me on my path into education. Um, I think I, I'm not on Twitter, um, but you can find me on LinkedIn. Yeah, great. Thank you all for introducing yourselves and uh, lovely to hear your different subject backgrounds and different trajectories. So um, in this Treasure Islands is, is the space where we are working as long as you said, you really enjoy being with students and seeing how they develop or or whether they are already professionals. And so I guess on the on these Treasure Islands, we might have a number of light bulb moments with students where we feel they're really getting it. And so I just wanted you to share some of your light bulb moments when you're working with students and what makes these light bulb moments possible and how that might look for you. Okay, if I may start, yes. So one of the light bulb moments is about uh, storytelling in the classes because I come from the background of physical therapy. So when I just put up the slides in the class and tell today objective is, let us start with at the end of the session, they'll be like, ha, oh, another lesson. But when I say that I give a picture of a case and I tell them, okay, this patient, you know what happened to them? This is what had happened. So I tell them they're like, I see them just getting on the edge of the chair and just keenly listening. OK, what has happened? And next what happened? And next what happened? They, they keep listening to us. And that storytelling was connecting them to the real world examples. They could easily connect to the cases which they see in the hospitals. And when I'm putting them like this is what had happened to them, they, they connect. They immediately get connected. And now I'll tell them, OK, for this case, as a physical therapist, what you're planning to do, let us make these patients' life easier. Let us make something better for the patients so they are with me. So I feel storytelling was one of the light bulb moments in my career, which is always keeping the student interest intact the whole session. Yeah, yeah that's great. 
I was just going to say, actually, that's quite, um, I do a similar thing in law, you know, trying to relate it to real clients, real stories, because I think when it's abstract, it's very difficult for students to latch onto it. Whereas actually when you can use those real authentic experiences, I think that can really help. Um, so I, 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 I think it's a great kind of um, pedagogy to use. Yes. I agree. I, I think that the thing that's really interesting is um, when, I, so obviously most of my work is with business students and often um, sort of first year or students with very little work experience. So um, what I think is really interesting is I have a similar and also very diverse, different view um, because my students, I've watched them in the classroom over many years and they are not so much engaged by saying, this is what really happens in business. When I'm talking to them about large organizations or day-to-day -day work experiences, because they've not had those experiences. Um, so funnily enough, my light bulb moment is, is the fact that when I used to start talking, my students used to stop and they were listening to me, but I didn't always feel like they were learning because what I was telling them about was too sort of foreign to their experience. So in a way, my focus is is on trying to to give them stuff that's real but also stuff that they can connect to their own level of prior knowledge and understanding um which may be something that's rather specific to students uh, in business schools i'm not sure yeah i mean i think it depends where your starting point is because i i definitely students uh, law students tend to you know, because it can be quite complex the actual um mechanics and going through cases that linking it to a case they may have heard about a football team they know um, definitely piques their interest but I, I understand what you're saying because I think sometimes you have to make it personal as well so to get them to empathize to imagine it was their house that was being repossessed or you know and get them involved in it to start seeing because I you know I, I teach corporate law so similar to business it can be very abstract for students and so it's trying to get them to think about the people behind that and imagine you had your company and and getting them to think about that. I agree on this because I had this experience when I began the storytelling in my teaching career. I was using the similar cases maybe across for this year two and year four students. I had the same cases. What interested the year four students was not of interest to the year two students because they didn't know many terminologies. So and then I customized my script in such a way that I just talk at that level and I have to stop at certain point giving too much of information it was taking them away from the clause and thinking that oh it's of no interest i don't know the engage initial engagement was lost so i agree with the laura so that seemed to be common in all of your experiences that not necessarily connecting to real experiences but also how that might look like so what you were saying that personal experience personal connections empathy or level of knowledge prior knowledge is all something that you consider when you construct these cases or the, the the examples that you're giving with students yes is there anything else that you consider when you build a case study that you think will resonate with students or that you want to or think things when maybe things that you want to perhaps these include sorry exclude sorry that's correct <laughs> I have something to include in the case studies. You know, mm -hmm. I I get cases from the classrooms. Um, I teach a course where I have a student who had a thumb fracture. 
I immediately called her in the class and told you, please meet me after your class. I want to just have a interaction with you. I got the entire history from her. Uh, and I told her, like, can you please explain me what happened? How does it happen? And I told, like, I'm going to place you on your case as one of the examination cases. And she was like, surprise, really? My cases, am I going to be put? Definitely your name is going to be masked, but I'm going to have you uh, case as an example. So getting the cases from their families, from the students itself, they were like more involved and they just come to now. They just knock my door and tell me, uh, doctor, uh, my uncle had suffered this and this was the history and this is what it is like. Would you like to have this? Have a look onto it. So we get cases from the real samples from the students itself. So they get connected to the assessment also. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Lorna, did you have a light bulb moment as well? I know you were resonating with Siva's example. Yes, well, um, I think um, my light bulb moment, I, I, when I was thinking about this, I took a slightly different approach, typical lawyer. Um, I was thinking about um, a light bulb moment for me, really, you know, because I think in my teaching, I was trying to think of an organized approach. You know, you're trying to respond, for example, to feedback. And it's like, how can I improve the course? And, you know, I always kind of look at the pedagogy, the literature, think about, you know, what, what, what we could do to change. And actually, in that process, came up with my light bulb moment so what I was looking at was formative assessment a lot of students were kind of feeding back that they were confused about things like peer assessment the merits of it what could I possibly teach my peer about whatever it was um, and um, it was like how can we improve things for students and I've been reading a lot of the assessment literature facing you know talking about summative assessment and taking a programmatic approach but not as many people looking at formative assessment and actually taking the same programmatic approach. So looking across the curriculum and instead of just focusing on your own module and your own assessment, which we all do, we get very um, protected over our particular module and what the assessment looks like and um, actually instead taking a step back and looking at the programme as a whole. And so what I'm working on this year is um, trying to take a programmatic approach to assessment support and formative activities. Um, I'm starting with first year law students this year, so looking across their year one, but the intention is that moves to kind of second and third year. And the idea is that, um, well, you know, you go through the literature and I had all these things set out that I wanted to achieve. And, and one of them was, you know, I wanted... Um, to prioritise particular skills and different modules, because I think as lecturers, we try and cover too much stuff all in our own module instead of actually sharing that out. And it's overwhelming them for the students. We also, you know, I wanted to kind of avoid repetition, you know, have a varied kind of sample of different formative activities for students. But um, one of the most interesting things that happened was thinking about, um, you know, when I was doing this, the kind of automatically what happens is if once you stop thinking about your own module and how do I get students to the assessment point and what would be useful, once you take that step back and think about the whole programme, automatically the shift in your focus moves away from that and you start thinking well what kind of skills do we want students to have reached by the end of year one and then by year two and by year three and it kind of happened automatically it wasn't necessarily the aim to begin with but it was kind of a light bulb moment because I'm like we're focusing on particular assessments focusing on our module instead of looking at what does the student look like at the end of this degree and how you know we always say there's not enough time to build in skills and so instead of looking at 
completely as formative assessment or assessment support, trying to think about what skills can we build into the curriculum that students can kind of um, work on throughout their whole journey. And a particular thing we were thinking about was the sequencing, um, you know, which I think is important to try and take students on a journey of progressively um, challenging tasks. So starting with, um, for example, um, a marking activity where students learn about the rubric, things like that, and then moving through to kind of practicing class of peer um, evaluations. You're getting students to come up with what they think the questions should be that they ask when they're reviewing work, but, you know, kind of having them very much low risk, um, you know, being able to ask plenty of questions. And then really in semester two, moving on to more complex activities where they can really build in the thing, the skills that they're picking up as they go along. So, it, it, you know, each time they get more practice or something more complex. And so they build up the skills. So that was kind of my light bulb moment. And I'm kind of hoping this year that students get that light bulb moment as well. But I've just done the marking activity and, you know, a couple of students afterwards said, well, you know, are we going to cover this in criminal law as well? And I'm like, no, no, you can do different activities you know and kind of really we, we told them all about the plan but you know they never take it in until you're actually doing it just like the rest of us and um you know I could see and think okay so I'm going to build up skills as I go along and there was interest in that so fingers crossed that um they, they get to the light bulb moment as well uh that's really interesting Lorna I was just listening to you as you sort of went through that and just thought you know this is like now I think about it, I've taught sort of at different levels and the way my focus on how the students are developing through the module separate to the content has really adapted based on learning to teach at different student levels at different points in their degree, um, teaching um, sort of post-experience students as well, um, teaching on the MBA and things like that. It, it's all very, very different. Um, I was wondering um, I, I wonder if this might affect both of you as well. To what extent does that sort of approach to try and build skills over a longer period of time across the programme, um, is that sort of also sort of embedded due to the need of like sort of professional accreditation bodies or things like that? Like how much flexibility do you have over that kind of thing? Well, for law, actually, um, it used to, there used to be a lot of regulation, but it's actually moved away. So we have a lot more flexibility. So it's not really a requirement, you know, when they go into practice. It's more though when we speak to law firms and um, barristers and even businesses, they're saying they want, you know, you know, a lot of particular employability skills. So I guess that's what's driven it from my perspective. And we've tried to dovetail it into our academic advisor system. So students go and speak to academic advisor about these skills that they're building up and reflect on them on a reflective log and the intention is I mean it's the first year we've run it that they build that through into their second and into their third year. Yeah, sounds good. Um, um, Alona, if I can ask you a question on when we say it's a formative assessment is it going to be built within one semester or it's going to be open for the year itself? Um, what we've done this year is we actually, because we do lots of formative activities, some more formal than others. And so we've, we kind of, I mean, this is the hardest part with the other module leaders trying to get everyone to agree because everyone's very precious over modules that we've worked really hard on. So it can, you know, I understand it, but it has to be that compromise. So we agreed on eight activities and it was good because it gave us a chance to talk about, because you don't always know what everyone else is doing and some amazing things colleagues are doing. And so 
so sharing those ideas and really taking the best of what all of us could offer. And I think actually, um, you know, students, because we've spaced them out, we know there's these key activities, students have the time as they go along to do them. It's not all, you know, we don't find that everything's being done in February or, you know, there's a huge pressure on them. We're kind of building them, hopefully, so they feel more confident by the time they start approaching summative assessment. Yeah, yeah, I think, Steve, where you're asking, I think that some of the, most of the modules will be semester long modules. Law now, would you have year long modules? Because I, I think law is a modular structure mm. as opposed to perhaps some other disciplines where you might have a year yeah. or yeah. other competency based okay. disciplines. Yeah okay. yeah. OK, yeah, sounds good. So because I was thinking about the time frame because students, they do not give more attention to the formative tasks compared to the summative tasks. So I was wondering how well they are doing with the formative task with less uh, time duration. I think, you know, um, the, the reason that, well, they're working okay at the moment, I will keep you updated, um, is what we've tried to do with the formative activities and put them into workshops. Um, and some of these are large workshops and lecture theatres, depending, you know, on, on the pressures throughout the timetable. But because students have to actually attend it, you know, as opposed to sometimes you may have a formative activity that students will go and do on their own because we've allocated classroom time or workshop time. We have had, anyway, it's the start, so maybe it's initial enthusiasm, but we have had a lot of students turn up, you know, to actually have a go at the activities. I think it's always harder when especially in first year, if you kind of give them a, a, I don't know, an essay or something to do, they go off, they're supposed to do it on their own um, and, and they might feel, well, I, I don't have time or there's better things to do. But when it's actually timetabled and I've got them kind of writing parts of essays to kind of compare with other student answers in the session, it doesn't seem too difficult for them because that time is time you know in a classroom so they don't have much choice about what they're going to do but it'll be interesting to see it is something that we've considered and we're thinking about you know how will it go over the whole year interesting yeah we use a lot of um a lot of formative activities with our students we have um, a built-in institutional requirement that every module in our sort of programs has to have a formative activity um, that students can elect to do that will give them some sort of insight into developing the skills or experience for their summative. Um, and we actually find we have a really high uptake um, with our students, even without necessarily always having um, a lot of uh, classroom time. It does change according to different modules. I mean, some students uh, and some modules, for example, use uh, presentations as formative activity which is done in class time um, but uh, in my module we do we do a, a practice essay um, and what we do is to try and connect each little bit um, so this is part of much like you were talking about Lorna it's also part of a program-wide sort of skills approach so we um, we introduce certain skills in the first year in different modules um, and my module specifically the business ethics module is meant to teach students how to write essays um, in addition to teaching them about business ethics so um, that module includes students on about six different programs. So I have some students studying accounting, some students studying marketing, some students studying management um, and a full range of, of other um, sub-disciplines as well. Um, so to begin with, we, we set an initial reading 
And then we do a sort of a little seminar session about the reading and how to read. And then that sort of links into later on the essay, their first formative essay is about sort of getting down their thoughts on that reading and sort of summarising the arguments for and against one of the contentions in that. Um, and that then links into things that I've developed recently, such as the game, that try and help them get towards the ultimate goal that is the summative writing their first academic essay. Um, and we have made a, a very concerted effort as an institution to make sure that is built into class time for the first years, which it does mean there's quite a lot of contact time, actually. Um, certainly compared to my experience elsewhere, it was a bit of a jump. But um, it seems to be that because, like you say, you devote time to it, you're telling them this is something you should be doing. They respond really enthusiastically, um, which is it's delightful to see. But to be honest, I also found it a little bit scary because I have first years turning up sometimes every week going, hi, I've done this written preparation. Can I give it to you? <laughs> Which was when I first started working at my university was a bit of a shock to the system. <laughs> a good problem to have, Laura, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, it can Absolutely. be scary if you have all the students. So I, I was wondering we... if they hadn't discovered pubs or something yet. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so a wonderful evidence of light bulb moments here. So Shelby, um, I think you're already um, probably hinted at some of the teaching props and pedagogies that we could look at. So this is about anything that um, you might bring to your treasure islands so that we can have these many light bulb moments to the students. Yeah, so my teaching uh, prop would be the human model itself because I cannot tell them, okay, there is an artery coming from here and going the other way around. So I have to have some human model to show them okay it starts from here you have to move it this way it lengthens you have it move it this way some visual representation for them to focus with me uh, i feel like one of the teaching prop that will be mostly used as human model and me as a person who will be doing the activities in front of them to show how to do the activities so the for doing the activities i am there as a teaching prop itself to do all those things but to support me i'm going to have this human model to exactly show them the location so that would be mine yeah brilliant thank you siva yeah um so I I have a little bit of a daft one. Um, I've said card games. Um, so this is both specifically in terms of I find that students, uh, they're, they're very comfortable sitting, sort of absorbing the knowledge and expertise of the very advanced lecturer. Um, but uh, that is not always very active engagement in their learning. So trying to encourage them to learn from each other by interacting with each other, I find is, is absolutely crucial. Um, so to some degree, any form of card game, to be honest, where they can interact with each other and start sort of learning from each other through discussion about some of the topics that we bring up. Um, and then in addition to that, like more specifically, I would probably want to take my card games that I've developed specifically for teaching them um, because it, it really breaks down things. I would, if we were in an archaic institution, my teaching prop would probably have been books. <laughs> I'm a great fan of books. Um, 
but books are intimidating. They're long, they're dusty, you have to get them from the library. If you watch digital, if you use digital books, they're very draining on the eyes, You're using a lot of battery to power your device. Um, so I use cards to get students to sort of cut it down to little bite-sized pieces of the arguments in the reading, um, and then they can discuss using those. So that would definitely be what I would need to take with me. Could you yeah, give us an you example? Yeah, I was just saying, <laughs> do you want to show us your cards? Because oh, okay. Because there's so many cards and I was just going to push you a little bit on describing the cards, but you've done that a little bit because you can have, I don't know, top, top trumps type cards. You can have the sort of competitive games or the ones that are a bit more physical and you hit things in on time. Yeah. So yeah. What, yeah, is there any particular type or, well, or if you would, talk us through yours, that would be I great. would try to use any and all of those techniques. But um, the one that I've done recently is um, it's kind of like a combination of top trumps and dominoes. So um, students all have a little deck of cards and the deck of cards um, are premises. So, you know, like a, a, a claim, um, a, whether it's some, a statement of something that is true or not is on it. Um, and they have to organize them to try and make the most points as if they were organizing an essay argument. Um, and then each card has points at the bottom and I give them a selection. They only have like around about six or eight cards that are possible conclusions. And then they have to sort of competitively collect the conclusion card that will fit with the essay they have built using the cards. So that's what they do. It's um, It's got quite a complicated scoring mechanism. We discovered that when we were testing it this year. Um, quite a lot of the students were like, how many points have I got? <laughs> oh, they were very invested. Um, so we're, we're making a little video for next year so that it's a little bit easier for the students to understand. Um, but on the whole, it went down well and they, they enjoy talking about the statements on the cards in a way that is a lot more accessible than asking them to talk about an article that was written in 1970 that's a couple of pages long. So Interesting, Laura. <laughs> I'm interested to know, so do you make these cards for every topic or every outcome? So specifically, I've made this deck of cards for teaching business ethics. And I teach the students on that course uh, a range of different ethical theories. So the conclusion cards are all for specific ethical theories. So they have to choose which theory. Yeah. Um, the cards are all, the statements on all of the cards are related to a single question, which is about um, does a company have responsibilities? Um, which is a very open question in the context yes. of business ethics. And there are a lot of um, sort of scholarly works that they can use to research that question and it kind of links to a lot of the different things that we might then ask them to explore in the assessment so it, it's kind of just encouraging them to learn to um, to sort of discover how difficult it is to sort of put things together sometimes that you get from diverse sources um, a lot of the statements on the cards are taken from specific academic articles um, and for example here's a a statement that's on a card. This one might say, governments like businesses are capable of corruption and moral failure. So that would be a statement where they might want to argue against government regulation of business 
and say that businesses have responsibilities, they might use that statement saying governments are not very good. Um, or there are other statements to do with the environment and stakeholders and all these kind of things. And then all of those aspects are included as the keywords that they have to match up to, um, to try and get the best points. So it encourages them, the keywords encourage them to use statements that come more or less from the same sort of background or the same line of work. Um, statements that generally have something to do with virtue ethics, for example, will usually have the keyword virtue on, so they can easily match them up without having to know too much about the background of the statements themselves. Cool. Do you find you get um, uh, more interaction from quieter students? Because I know that I mean, I, I'm interested in games, actually. So I think that it sounds fantastic what, what you're doing. I, I, I suppose I do smaller activities, things like matching exercises, structuring you with pieces that I've kind of laminated because actually, you know, you know, especially if you put a timer on the board, your electronic timer, you, you create a kind of um, atmosphere and they're up and they're energetic. And, and, and people who sometimes are more reticent, don't want to speak, tend to, to join. Has that been your experience? Yeah, I think it does encourage students to join in more. Um, I also, this is emphatically a prototype. And to be honest, even if I use this game for 10 years and I get it professionally printed, I will still tell students it is a prototype because they are allowed to change the rules of the game. If they think it's too complicated and they just want to use the statements as discussion points in a little group and they don't want to play the game because they find it too confusing, that's fine. Like accessibility trumps being forced to do the activity in my in my mm. book. Um, but equally, it does seem to be more engaging than just asking students saying, hey, so what were the three key messages in this reading? You know, what were the key arguments? Because then you encourage like the three most talkative, most outgoing students to participate in the class. And a lot of the shyer students or more reticent students, students who are concerned about their fluency in the language, all of these kind of things um, hinder their participation. So um, it, it works on a lot of levels. And I also find it helps because you can use it um, with larger groups. Um, and I, I realize this is very much a business school problem sometimes. Um, but this course, particularly this year, um, I have like 430 students across the cohort. So even our small group sessions have 25 to 35 students in. And that's quite a lot of students for, you know, a sort of an in-depth detailed discussion where you just moderate as one person. Um, and I think it's more productive for the students to, to have that opportunity to bounce ideas off each other. And they also feel less intimidated than being sort of singled out by the teacher. <laughs> Sounds great, Laura. Is, at this point, they are more sort of uh, impromptu groups or discussion groups. They they are yes. not necessarily working in sort of group projects at this point. But this, as you no. said, it sounds like a really good approach. Uh, yeah, for they, those they do. Um, they do group projects in other modules, but not um, mm -hmm. not emphatically in this one. Mm -hmm. I love how you you said accessibility trumps uh, the, the the task. Sounds great. Okay, Lorna, do you want to share your teaching prop or pedagogy with us? I suppose it's a pedagogy, um, you know, getting students as kind of co-creators of resources, I think, has worked well in the past. Um, a, a tutorial or seminar that I used to run um, 
there was two parts to it. So the first part was students and groups presenting um, on an area of law that they kind of knew about, but they had to research some new elements. So it was kind of consolidation and a bit of research in their groups. But I said when they presented it back, you know, that I wasn't the audience. It was everybody else in the class. So it was about not just explaining things, you know, because then you tend to get um, lots of quotes from books and things, but actually, you know, um, think about how you're going to communicate that to your fellow students. And to be honest, I was amazed how well they did. They they had some amazing slides. They, you know, sometimes you think they won't do it and they came up with mnemonics and, you know, um, you know, funny pictures that will help them remember concepts, you know, and it was, it was a bit of a dry air of law, actually. So they'd done a really great job. And we also, you know, um, so we watched all the group presentations and they were all recorded. And then in the second part of the tutorial, I used, I don't know whether any of you guys have used um, Prezi before. Yes, um, yes. So, yeah, yeah. so it, 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 it's supposed to be used as a presentational tool, but I kind of used it as a, um, how to describe it, uh, a, an electronic kind of um, concept map. So there was three different areas and I think Prezi is quite good at enabling you to focus and then show relationships between different areas. And so I got students kind of to come up and join me as we built this kind of um, concept board. So they were able to, you know, we, I, I'd, I'd, be, I'd prompt them with questions, but you know, there would be particular cases they wanted to talk about, concepts, links that they'd used in their research. And we kind of built it all up together you know a whole so it's like a presentation but also something they could take away with them and into that I also embedded the videos that I taken of the students um so they all the feedback on the session was really great but then later on in the year when it came to assessment you know I asked them again and they all used it to kind of revise from which was really nice and and, and it was quite funny because I've had a similar experience one of them said to me um it was funny because I watched my own video you know on a concept they kind of forgotten about because they'd recorded it in November say assessment was May time and they said even though you know I was learning almost from myself and actually I had the you know it gave them confidence because it's like I knew this really well so actually I can go back to this and actually build on it and sometimes I think the way the students had explained it you know because they're so new to the information is sometimes unbeatable compared to with what we can do so um uh, you know it was it was a useful way of putting together something that you can kind of um, capture and send out to them and they've got to keep yes yeah, it, like this is something similar to like how I am getting the cases from the students to include in the assessment to make them feel more inclusive to like be a part of the course content creation itself. Yes, this is something interesting, but like I'm just having I'm thinking like if when when the strength of the student is more like does every student has the equal opportunity to give their uh, contribution or feeling included in the content creation process? Yeah, I mean, with the, with this aspect, I, I you know, I'd said, look, you know, they're they're in small groups, so it's only five of them, and I think in most groups, all all of them spoke. But I said, if you're kind of done more of the actual presenting or the slides or the research, you know, so they're allowed to kind of play to their strengths in that particular activity. So some of them had thought of the mnemonics, you know, thought of the graphics, um, because they were, you know, I I thought sometimes you always wonder you do these activities and they can be a bit more, you, you know, and and students aren't really interested in it, but. Um, I think because they told them they were going to be videoed, I think that had made them really, you know, put some effort into it. And they come <laughs> up with really good kind of um, learning resources, I think. And they was, I think they shocked themselves. 
Amen. <laughs> That's nice. So when you said you were going to video them for, you mean for the purpose of presenting it, or what was the sort of reason you gave them for the video to then showcase it to the whole group or for any other? What's the? We, we what, did. What the do you think motivated them in that part? I think well, they knew they were going to get feedback because it was it was a long session. They knew they were going to get feedback from their peers. But the reason we are video recording is so it could form part of the Prezi, you know, so they'd be able to go back to that. And, and the idea was that this isn't just about a, a presentation now. It is a resource that you're building for your fellow students that you will use and go back to. And I think they all did because they built kind of WhatsApp groups around, you know, revision and and I think it did build this sense of community because they were all involved in this particular resource with all of their different videos and you know so they could have a laugh at each other but actually there's a lot of um, interesting stuff in there. I love that peer learning element though it's brilliant it's brilliant like it it reminds me of some of the suggestions where you get students to sort of build wikis together but the multimedia aspect of this sounds so much better. Yeah it worked really well Prezi isn't meant to be used in that way but you know you know I had an overall structure and they could type in their thoughts or you know we could take some of the graphics that they'd used in their presentations and it, you know we actually did it there in real time I, I think I spent you know maybe 20 minutes cleaning it up at the end and obviously embedding the videos for them but actually you know it, it even though it's not its intended commercial purpose it worked quite well yeah i've used um mural for commercial similar commercial applications mm. it's an interactive whiteboard but it's basically the same sort of idea it's just a lot of these things adapting them for education is always a bit of a journey isn't it yeah <laughs> trial and error. So you've got your your lovely islands, we're rowing over with, I don't know, human models to teach about how the human body works, peer learning with card games and uh, really good uh, group discussions and we have got students as co-creators of learning resources then uh, creating it for themselves, their, their own sort of audiences. Are there other elements that you might want to bring in in addition to the island or any other connection points between the, the, the teaching props and pedagogies you have discussed? Anything we might still want on our wish list? My wish list is I have, sorry. They're good. The wish list is like I was writing in the note as well. I was thinking that why I should carry my course syllabus with me the refined completely refined the course syllabus with me to they say curriculum is dynamic and we should make changes with the course syllabus as and when required for the students so if i have the course, course syllabus carried with me i can make a note of things what i'm making for this semester right away there okay this works fine this methodology is working fine for these students i can make a note and write on that particular aspect maybe the course syllabus will be another one which i can think about yeah, no, that sounds good. I, I, I was on that. On, sorry, Lorna. <laughs> no, you don't go on. You go. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say. I think on that, like we should, we should add paper and pens and everything. You know, get the yes. get the students editing the course syllabus and editing the games as well as co-creating these materials for future study. Yeah, I think both of you have said about being flexible to student needs or the accessibility or whatever works for your current cohort. So I think that flexibility or inclusivity around the edges sounds like, yeah, it's nice to capture that. Yeah, so paper and pens to edit things. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I think I like the idea of kind of getting students to create their own games to make a, a meaning over what you're actually teaching them. I think that would be a great kind of activity to get students to do actually when they're thinking about, you know, difficult concepts and how you get them across. I think games is a great way of doing it. Yeah, so creative games, that, that's definitely um, the flavour of today. So you've been working really hard on this island. I mean, uh, sounds like your students have brilliant experiences, creative, engaged classes with you all. So you also need to relax a little bit. So what would be your luxury item that you would choose to bring to the island, which would help you relax off duty teaching? I have a two different view on this. If it is an item, I would use, I would choose a headphone to listen to some music. But if it is not an item, I would say I need my office hours and non-office hours specified abode because we are on an <laughs> island. I don't want them to come over all 24 hours a day and ask for something. So I just wanted to take a board card and keep it's a non-office hour. It's an office hour. So I just wanted to set out this balance, the work-life balance, because I, I see students who come to us, they'll be shooting the email uh, early morning, 1 a.m. And when I enter the office, doctor, did you see the email? I said, when? Today morning, 1 a.m. I have sent you that I will be. I said, no. I'm just entering my office. It's 7.30. So you, they don't understand the importance that the faculty will have their own things to do and we have to give them time. So I feel these two things would be my choice. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm sure I can let you have both. <laughs> In this case, you have given a very good rationale for and a very nice visual concrete example of work-life balance, which I think is so important. Yeah. Absolutely. I think so. My luxury item is a Kindle. Um, I I confess this is because the, the Kindle that I have or, you know, any e-reader is is one that lights up. So mm -hmm. I could I could read in the dark when presumably all of the students would be sleeping or, or off on the other side. Or of emailing the you, but you don't look at the emails. <laughs> or emailing me, but I'm not I'm not taking my laptop as my luxury item for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, because I, I just um, I like to read uh, non-academic texts my spare time. Lovely. That's also granted. So you can also barter with music and reading, looks like, with Siva. OK, Lorna, what's your luxury? <laughs> well, it's item? looking like we need the students to go and hunt for food because none of us have done anything <laughs> in relation to that. But um I I would well my luxury item I suppose is clay because I um you know hand build kind of um, decorative mugs and uh, bowls and I got one here actually so you see I really do this oh. I haven't made it up but um and I suppose you know sorry I, I, it looks awesome I mean we'll take a photo of it for our <laughs> listeners <laughs> but uh, I you know I, I think it's creative and relaxing but you also you know make something quite um, um, useful as well which is I suppose what I like about it but if I brought the clay I would I, you see you said luxury items so I'm assuming that we have matches maybe um, because obviously I'd need the fire to kind of um, you know uh, make the ceramic but uh, and I think for 
me, one of the most important things with the matches would be if I could be cheeky and take matches too, or assume they're already there. Um, is you know, I, I whenever I've kind of I, I've done a lot of backpacking, but you know, sometimes you had a hard day and a campfire really, um, you know, cheers everyone up. Um, you know, you know, and it's a relaxing thing and it's an opportunity as opposed to share stories. And I, I know you were talking about storytelling right at the start, and I think you know that would be a nice thing to do. Um, because I, I think, it, you know, lectures in particular get a bad press or have done for a while. But I think, you know, I think we have to embrace part, the good parts of them as storytelling, you know, because I think that's probably one of the oldest way to learn. And I love a good story. And if someone tells it well, I remember it forever. And that's the way I try and approach lectures, obviously with interactive, interactivity and everything else. But sometimes I think um, it's nice to just share stories and listen to someone tell one really, really well. I think all your luxury items connected to that because I'm sure with Siva listening to music, they tell a story. <laughs> Laura's Kindle is about storytelling and then you've got the fire and the uh, nothing better than tell stories about by drinks or things that you make from clay, Lorna. So that's <laughs> lovely. <laughs> yes, Lorna's, Lorna's going to keep us all alive by, by making little bowls so that we have something to drink rainwater out of. <laughs> So sounds like a lovely self-sustained islands and stories has been have been around for a long time and they will be as you say so that's brilliant okay so i think that that's been a really really enjoyable conversation thank you very much all of you uh, so it's time to sail away uh, to our treasure islands together Thank you for listening to those of us who will be listening. If you enjoyed our episode, you can subscribe to our podcast. And then also, if you wanted to join as a guest, then the expression of interest form is on our Live UDCI website. And you can also access our blog post. So um, goodbye for now. And finally, a big thank you to our guest today. Goodbye. Thank you. Yes. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye.